Well, great to be with you. Do you mind if I take this off? <laughs> okay. You might get tangled up. You know, it's been kind of interesting. Uh, as we've been having services during the pandemic, I would have, I got my hearing aids in, which I just got last fall, which my family talked me into getting. And I actually love them. I, they're, they're actually great. Um, and then I would have this wireless mic on, and these things go over my ears. And then I would put the mask on, you know, and then, you know, can you imagine if I had this thing around my head as well? Anyway, what would happen is I'd get up to speak, and I'd want to remove the mask, and it would be all tangled up. And oh. Anyway, so I'm just really glad to not have to worry about that part of it. So this works. Um, so I just want to begin a new series of messages today. And I'm actually going to only give the first message. Uh, next week, you're going to hear from Pastor Trent, and then Pastor Tammy, and then Tim Bridges. Uh, so the three T's are going to follow the B. Uh, my name is Brian, of course. And uh, so you're going to hear four messages on the Word of God. So back in 2004, Willow Creek Community Church, uh, it was one of the largest churches in North America at that time, maybe the largest possibly at that time. They did a study... And out of that, they studied their congregation to find out, you know, what is it that makes people grow? They sent out 15,000 surveys, and they got about 7,000 returned, which is a pretty good return rate. And the question they asked was this, which activities are most effective in helping people grow in their love for God and others? What are the things that we need to do as a church and in our lives personally in order to grow, to love God more, and to love people more? And do you know what they found out? This is what it says in the book they published called MOVE, M-O-V-E. This is what they found out. The most effective strategy for moving people forward in their journey of faith is helping them to engage on their own with the Scriptures on a daily basis. If we can get people into the Bible and to hear the Word of God, he said that is the most effective strategy you've got to help people grow. Well then, earlier this year, just a few months ago, I got an email from an older gentleman uh, in our church, and this is what he wrote me. Quote, he said, Pastor McBride of People's Church in Toronto gave this statistic this morning about how many professing Christians read the Bible. It is shocking to say the least, unquote. Those who read the Bible, professing Christians, daily 5% of professing Christians read the Bible. 4% of professing Christians read a few times a week. 2% of professing Christians read about once a week. Add that up, that's about 11% who would engage the Bible at least once a week. And then he said this. He wrote this. Is it any wonder the church has no influence in our world anymore? And I was a little crestfallen when, when he wrote that. It sounded kind of negative, and it sounded kind of critical of Christians in the church. And I thought, is it really that bad? So you know what I did. I went online. I thought, I'm going to check this out. So I went to a few sites, but a couple of the ones that I went to was one is Lifeway Research, and the other was Barna Research. Okay, and these are Christian research organizations. And Lifeway said, 
32% of evangelicals, not just professing Christians, but of evangelicals, read the Bible every day. And another 20% said that they read a few times a week. Well, if you add that up, that's almost 60%. That's way better than, say, 5% or 11%. Barna Research gives something uh, very close to that as well. So I emailed them back, and I said, I'm not sure where that pastor in Toronto got his information, but this is the information I got, and I sent him the link. So all of that got me to thinking, you know what, we need to have a series of messages, and I prayed about this, but I really felt like the Lord directed me to this summer have a series of messages on why the Bible is important, why it's important to engage with it frequently. In fact, daily is the best practice. So I had learned early in my Christian experience, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I, got, I became a Christian uh, at the age of 24, started going to church at the age of 23, and I just know uh, Pastor Danny Gales, uh, whom many of you know, he would just say, you should have your devotions every day. You should get up in the morning, the best time is the morning, uh, before you go to work or do anything else, and read your Bible and pray and, you know, all of that. And I really wanted to do that, but i got to tell you, I found it really hard. I really did. I, I would open my Bible, and uh, there are times, you know, I, I, you know, I get into Second Chronicles, you know, where it's, it's got, like, listing the names of all these guys who have names like Oholiab and, you know, Shephaniah and stuff like that. And, and I'm reading this list of priests and, and reading about the sacrifice, and it was just like, it was just so dry, and it was so hard to understand. Some of it was confusing, and I tried to motivate myself, and sometimes I was successful, but honestly, most often, I did feel kind of guilty. Um, I know none of you have ever experienced that, but, <laughs> of course you have. But you know what? Is I did not really love Scripture. So I would hear every now and again, I would, I, I would hear some... Christian, like who's like a seasoned saint of God, would get up at, at testimony time in church, you know, and they would get up and sometimes they would weep and they say, "Oh, I just love the Word of God," and they would cry, and I was like, I, I couldn't even relate to that. Like I honestly, when I did read the Bible, it was usually because I was like forcing myself to do it, or if I was so I was teaching Sunday school and I would read it to prepare to teach, but not just for myself, because I loved it. So what happened was, about seven years ago, I had a spiritual renaissance. Many of you who've been here for a while know that. Um, the Holy Spirit just began to do a deeper work in me. That came through the influence of certain people uh, who, you know, were here. And God just began to open his word to my mind, to my heart. Um, and I began a practice of scripture memory around that time, like really, really deepened it. And I, I just love it. I, I, I have to say today, I love the Bible. I don't worship the Bible. I worship the person the Bible points to, which is Jesus. But I love the Bible. I love scripture. I love to hear God's voice. Um, I know a lot of you here today can really can relate. That's why you chuckled when I said none of you could relate to my experience of failure. You know, you're going, yeah. And I know, too, like I talk to moms with little kids. It's like, I don't have time. You know, and you, there's a little guilt that goes with that. And when you do have time, you're so exhausted. You just can't get motivated to read it. 
And so a lot of us just are looking for help with this. And I'm hoping that this series could give some help. I think I want to say to you, help is on the way. If you feel you need it and want it. So in this series of messages rooted in the Word, we, I want to have us explain what the Bible is, so what God's Word is, what it can do in your life, how God's Word can become food for your soul, why it's important not only to read it or hear it, but to put it into practice in your life, and how Scripture should function in your life. What are the kinds of things it can do? In your life. So the purpose of this spirit series, the sermons are not going to be training so much because you can't really train people in a sermon. But to hopefully inspire you to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try this again. So having said that, I do want to provide some opportunities for us to learn together between Sundays if you want to avail yourself of that. And I'm going to give you some things at the end of the message uh, that might help. So here's a book that often just collects dust, right? It's saying, read me. Read me. So today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that, so we just did a series of messages in May and June called Words We Live By, where we asked people in the church, say, can you give us one of your favorite Scriptures, you know, and we'll preach on it. And we couldn't do all of them. So today... Um, three out of the four next Sundays that we're going to preach on, the passages of Scripture were given by somebody in the congregation. The one today, Pastor Moses, who's the pastor of our Sudanese congregation, said, could you preach on Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13? And so I'm going to read this for you right now, and it should come up on the screen. But this is what it says, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes to whom we must give an account. The word of God described in this passage does not sound boring, dull. It sounds kind of exciting. It's alive and it's active. It's bursting and brimming with life is what he's saying. So this passage I just read describes to us what the word of God is and what the word of God does. So let's look at verse 12 again. He says, it is alive and active. God's Word is a living, breathing Word. God is a God who spoke, but He is still speaking today. He lives, and He is still speaking if we will just listen to Him. Words in general have life. You know when people say, well, it's only words? Think about this. In the Second World War, during this, at the beginning of the Second World War, when the Nazis were threatening Great Britain, God used a particular person, Winston Churchill, to give speeches that rallied an entire nation. 
His words mattered. They lived. They began to live. They left his lips and they went out of the airways and they took root inside the hearts of the people and gave them hope. Martin Luther King Jr., you know when he gave that, I have a dream, you know, that a, you know, the day would come when a man will not be judged by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character. You know, and people were inspired. People died for those words. So words really do. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know? So if our words could have that effect, how much more do God's words have that effect? Here's three things that are unique to God's word, okay? One is his word is creative. His word is creative. You know what the Bible says? Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, no, that's John chapter 1, in the beginning God created what? The heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be, and there was. God's word is creative. You know, if, if, if we create something, now we got some really creative people in this church and you can take something from raw materials and you're really good at designing something really beautiful. And I'm like, wow. But God can just call it out of nothing. Just out of nothing. Just by his word. He speaks things into existence. That's why Jesus was able to heal people. He could say, be free. Come out of him. Be healed. God's word is creative. The second thing is God's word sustains it tells us that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that his word sustains the universe. It's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I was a physics major. Many of you know that. And I still like things, physics, like astrophysics, cosmology, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm kind of fascinated with it. And it's interesting. They talk about these forces called dark energy, you know, and dark matter. And it's kind of mysterious what dark matter and dark energy is. One's causing the, wants to make the universe shrink. The other one wants to make it expand. And people don't know, what really is it? I thought, you know, I kind of wonder if it's God's word. I don't know. But there's just, there's a lot of people in physics today that are kind of going, there seems to be this mysterious force out there that we don't know what it is. But God does sustain. He creates, but then he sustains what he creates. And the third thing is God's word is life-giving. Jesus said, my words are life. His very words. Uh, you're going to hear Pastor Trent speak on this. When Jesus was in the wilderness, being tested by the de- tempted by the devil, and the devil said, turn these stones into bread, and he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said, the, and he said, you know, he, this was bread the words that God has spoken were bread for Jesus. Um, and so when you or I hear a message like this, or go to a Bible study, or open your Bible and read a passage of Scripture, and it just really impacts you, and you're like, oh my, I've got to change something in my life. That's God's word giving life to you. Even if it convicts you of your sin and you do something about it, it's giving life to you. 
because it's taking death away. It's removing sin, and it's helping you to live the way God wants you to live. God's word is life-giving. So in this passage, when he says the word of God is living and active, he's saying that he uses the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. He's saying the logos is living and active. And we often think of the Bible like the written record of God's activity amongst people, his redemptive history. Everything that we read from Genesis to Revelation, this is the Bible, it's Holy Scripture, it has been written, it's historical. But when he says the Word of God is living and active, he's not just talking about the Bible. He's talking about more than the Bible. For instance, when Jesus was on earth, he was also called the Word of God. Have you ever wondered about that? Why was Jesus called the Word you know, he was the Word that became flesh and lived among us for a while. Why was he called the Word? What if somebody went up to Eric Ewing, who was sitting over to my left, and said, Eric Ewing is the Word of God? <laughs> well, you'd be quite flattered and maybe a little embarrassed. Um, and I, if, if somebody said that about me, I would be a little embarrassed because I'd say, I don't really think I'm living up to that. But Jesus did because he fulfilled the law and the prophets. He fulfilled everything that had been written. He lived it out. He lived, it breathed in him. It lived out through him. It took root in him. And it produced a great harvest. So that's why he was the word of God. It was embodied within him. So God's word lives. It is alive and it is active. It is at work in the world today. I love this passage from Isaiah 55. Take a look at this. It says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. You know, he's saying my word is like the rain and snow that comes out of the heavens. He says, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is active, and it always accomplishes its purpose. Sometimes the purpose of God's word is to bless. Sometimes his word pronounces judgment. At the end of the day, whatever it's always intended to heal us in the end. So the Word of God comes to us in two forms, and there's two Greek words in the Bible, logos and rhema. So R-H-E-M-A, rhema. Logos, just to simplify it, is that which is written. Just think of it that way. It's, it's in the Bible. It's here. And when I, before I... Um, began to really love the Bible, because remember I said, you know, I, I really struggled with reading the Bible. Um, it was just logos. It was just dead letter. It was a repository of history and, you know, salvation history and teachings and so on. But it, it was just logos. The Bible becomes rhema when it speaks to us to encourage us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, 
to edify us, to convict us, to judge us, when the words are lifted off the page into our hearts. So God's word is alive, and it is at work now to this very day. Let's pay attention to it. But then he says it is a sharp, double-edged sword. Now, how many of you have ever been to church camp when you were kids? How many people went to church camp with your kids? And you know, sometimes a speaker would get up and say, okay, everybody, lift up your swords. And people would lift up their Bibles. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That people say, this is the sword of the Lord, you know. And that's, there's some truth in that, but really, it doesn't become a sword until it is spoken. So, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes about the armor of God, and he gives all these pieces of armor. And at the end, he says, the last piece of armor, he says, take up the helmet of salvation, and then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what he says. If you're going to be arm, put on the armor of God, he said, a really important part of that armor is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That's rhema. That's the Greek word in that passage. It becomes a sword when it speaks to us. So when Jesus was tempted by the devil, and even when Satan tempted Jesus with Scripture, how did Jesus respond? He answered back with Scripture. It became a sword in his mouth. And it says, the devil left him. So that's when the word really, in a sense, becomes prophetic. Um, every time you encourage somebody, and they go, oh, thank you so much. I, I couldn't have done that without you. And even if it wasn't scripture you were quoting, but you said something that was inspired by the Holy Spirit and really encouraged and lifted somebody up, that's prophetic. Um, if you say something that convicts somebody, of, of, of a wrong that they've done or of a sin, that could become prophetic. Because, but prophecy is when it's spoken. It has to be spoken. And so that's why it says in verse 12, for the word of God is alive, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And then it says, it explains now what it does. It says it penetrates and it judges. When he says it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it's very interesting. You go, soul, I thought soul and spirit were the same thing, and then joints and marrow, like what does that mean? You know what? We shouldn't try to break that down and analyze those words. That's, that's what you call a rhetorical device. He's piling words upon words to make a point. He's saying, if we are indeed body, soul, and spirit, and I actually do believe that we are, body, soul, and spirit. But how would you divide between soul and spirit? What part of your soul, what part of your spirit, and how would you figure that out? He's saying the word of God is so incisive, it can penetrate that deeply. He's, that's all he's saying. It goes deeper than anything else. God's word is incisive. It's like a surgeon's scalpel. Like, look at this. Like, somebody's in an operating room. There, they have a scalpel. And they have to cut the person open in order to bring healing. And God's word is like that. It's sharp. 
And that sword, can, you can think of it like a weapon, like, okay, it's, it's going to kill sin. Or you can think of it like a scalpel. It's going, to, it's going to bring healing. But guess what? It has to hurt to heal. It has to hurt to heal. Um, in Acts chapter 2, it tells us that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus' followers. You know, and they began to speak in tongues, and, you know, and people were like, whoa, what's going on? What does Peter do? He gets up, and there's thousands of people, and he gets up, and he begins to preach. And, it, and he starts talking about Jesus, and he says, he's the one you crucified, people, but God raised him from the dead. And it, what does it say? It says, they were cut to the heart. It's like they were They felt anguish over their sin. It cut deeply. And they said, what shall we do? And they're in spiritual pain at that point. And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. But it had to cut to the heart. That's God's Word being alive and active. And God's Word has to cut deep to open us up so that His love can be poured in through His Holy Spirit. But the other thing the Word does is it discerns and it judges. That's what it says in verse 12. And when it says the Word of God judges us, it doesn't mean condemning necessarily. Actually, what it means is it diagnoses what's wrong. That's what it really means. It's, a, it's appraising us. It's assessing us. It's diagnosing. So like if you go to a doctor and you've got a lump or something and they do a biopsy and there's a sense of diagnosis. And that's what the Word of God does. So the Word of God can completely pierce us down to the inner recesses and the darkest regions of our minds. It has the power to expose that which is hidden. Not just our thoughts, but our motives. God, <laughs> this is a little frightening, but God, uh, He knows your thoughts and He can see your actions, but He actually knows why you're doing it. He knows your intention. And that's what this means. He judges the thoughts and intentions. And so God sees everything. Now, how many of you are comforted by the fact that God sees everything? How many of you? Come on. Enthusiastic. Yeah, you're not sure. Is this a trick question? Is this a trick question? You know, you, you could be comforted by that, but it depends maybe on how you're living. <laughs> but, but even if you're not living right, as soon as you know that God is merciful, you can say, I, I, I'm okay, because I know in the end, even if he has to, if I'm cut to the heart, I know God's going to do it for my good. But don't be like this guy. You know, you don't, let's hope that on the day of judgment, we're not like this guy in the cartoon here. Like, <gasps> you know, I should have done something sooner. So we often say to people, and I say to people, read your Bible. Remember I had that image at the beginning? Read me. Read the Bible. But somebody once said this, we don't read the Bible, the Bible reads us. The Bible reads me. When I open the Bible, I'm reading it, but it's also reading me. When I look into the Bible, it's looking into me. 
So this passage in Hebrews chapter 4, it's, you have to really, if you go home, just read all of chapter 3, maybe already from the beginning, but chapter 3 and 4, and, and really, this is, there's a tone of judgment in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. And what had happened, I had asked Alex Noel to read Psalm 95, because if you were listening, he talked about how the people in the desert, in the wilderness, when God brought them out of Egypt, had rebelled. And you know what? They should have left Egypt and gone to the promised land into where all their dreams would come true. It, it was an 11-day journey. How long did it take them to get there? 40 years. An 11-day journey. And it was because they didn't listen. That's what Psalm 95 is about. They rebelled because of unbelief. It wasn't doubt. It was just unbelief. They, they refused to believe the promise of God that he would be with them. And they looked to themselves rather than to the Lord. And so what he says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, look at this. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. So there's a promise for you and me today. To enter his rest just simply means for you to experience all that God wants for you, his peace, his joy, his comfort. There's still a promise for you and me today. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Without faith... The Word of God will not bear fruit in our lives. Yes, it will still accomplish its purpose, but maybe that purpose is judgment until we come to that place of repentance. And so in verse 11, chapter 4, Hebrews 4, 11, he says, let us therefore make every effort. So I would say to the people of First Church of the Nazarene in Calgary, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example, the example of the people of Israel their example of disobedience. Notice the next verse, verse 12, begins with the three-letter word, for. He's saying, let's not follow their bad example, for the Word of God is alive and active. It's going to accomplish its purpose one way or the other, but we could individually miss that purpose if we resist him. And then he goes to verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. See, God sees everything. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him. The word of God is alive, it is active, and it exposes what is hidden. Before God, we are naked and laid bare. We lie exposed to his scrutiny. It's like God has a searchlight and he's looking for those dark regions. It exposes our sin. And that's really what this passage is about. It, it brings everything in our lives into the light of his judgment, his diagnosis. God is searching us right now, today, right now in this moment. He's searching me right now. I love Psalm 139 a psalm of David. 
where he says, well, I'm just going to read this piece of it. He said, you discern my thoughts from far away. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David knew that he could never outrun God. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba and he tried to hide it, God knew. And God sent Nathan the prophet to rebuke David. Colleen's grandmother, Belcher, your paternal grandmother, Grandma Belcher, whom we knew and loved, she used to say, be sure your sins will find you out. You know, and that is so true. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. When the Lord Jesus comes, okay, it says, do not judge anything. So you and me, let's not judge anything before the appointed time, but let's wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness and will then expose the hidden purposes of the heart. God will bring everything into the light. We sometimes, our, our kitchen and dining room faces south in our house, and on a really bright sunny day, and we've had a lot of them lately, the sun would come in, and it would shine right onto our stainless steel refrigerator that I thought was really clean. And suddenly, all the smudges and the dust show up. And I'm like, I'm getting that right, you know, like doing this. And that's what God does. When that light shines in, stuff that is hidden that you can't see, light exposes what is hidden in the darkness. And that's the best thing that can ever happen for us. So when it comes to your life or sin in your life, do you want to have a medical exam and surgery or an autopsy? Really. Because better to deal with it now than to wait until it is too late. And so what I want to do is encourage you, and I'm just going to close with this, and then I'm going to pray. Would you make Bible reading and meditation on his word, where you just sort of think about it, um, and obedience to his word, putting it into practice, would you make that a daily practice? Would you say, God, help me? And I know for some of you that's a bigger challenge than for others. But ask God to give you the grace there are Bible reading plans out there, and I'm going to send stuff out this week and say, hey, if you want to try this, there are Bible reading plans so you always know what you're going to read next. Um, I want to send you some websites like Blue Letter Bible, like the BibleProject.com and Bible Gateway. I want to send it because some people may not be aware that they're out there. There's so many tools today that we can use. I also teach a class about three or four times a year called Hearing God. It's a six-week class. It is really, really helpful. It's helped me a lot. And every time I teach it, I learn more and I go deeper. Um, and so when you hear about hearing God, hearing God, I encourage you to sign up for that. And you'll be hearing about it in the next several weeks. Um, I have a lot of resources I want to share with you. 
But in the meantime, what I would like us to do is to bring ourselves into God's scrutiny by choice. And I want us to do it right now, just in prayer. And the worship team is going to come and join us up here on the platform, and they're going to lead us in the final song. Father, I want to thank you that your word is alive. It is active and at work to this very day. And so we need to pay attention to it. I thank you, Lord, that your word encourages us. It comforts us. It inspires us. Yes, and sometimes it judges us. It convicts us of things we've done wrong or said wrong, of our sin. It speaks As we're praying right now, would you say, Lord, I believe that your word is still speaking today. Help me to listen. Show me how I can make room in my schedule to sit quietly in your presence with my Bible and at prayer and allow your word to soak up into my life. I want it to be rooted deep into the soil of my heart. And I invite your scrutiny, Lord. I want your light, the light of your words to shine in me, through me, to expose all that is not pleasing to you. I want to be cut to the heart so that I can be healed and live a whole life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we're going to watch a video, and then the worship team is going to lead us in a final song. So please watch this. For some people, their experience with God is existential, or their concept of God is made up. And I think that the Bible is really the only way that we can know God. The Bible explicitly points to Jesus. The Bible explicitly teaches us how to live, how to know God rightly, how to obey, how to become dependent on Him. The Bible is a huge, it's a huge part of it. And that's really the That's the starting point of experiencing God. Because if you leave it up to yourself, then who knows what you'll conjure up in your own mind. And I think as you begin to read the Bible and the Holy Spirit opens up your heart and your mind, it's crazy, but this Bible changes you. It changes everything. You begin to see God for who He is. You begin to see how affectionate He is towards you. You begin to see how much he loves his people. You can't know that without the Bible. I used to hear people all the time tell me, well, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Well, how, how, do, how do we know that? How, how do we know that? Well, I just know. I just feel it. And that's cool. I mean, it's true. But for someone like me, I needed to know, how do you know that? And I think the Bible is explicitly clear. 
It tells you. The whole Bible, Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, points to Jesus. My purpose in life is to love God, love people, and bring Him glory. And I know that purpose because He tells me that in Scriptures.